Coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, putting issues of women's health and gender equality at the top of America's political agenda. I want to know, where do the men who are running for president stand on these issues? Why is it always the women who have to raise issues that affect everyone? In this week's episode, a conversation with Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood and one of the founders of the new organization Supermajority. She'll talk about her work to empower women during this unique moment in America and why critical public health issues should be front and center during the 2020 presidential campaign. Plus, Richards weighs in on a recent string of anti-abortion laws across the United States. The ultimate irony to me about all of this is because of the great work out of the Affordable Care Act, getting birth control access for millions and millions more people. We're actually at a 30-year low for unintended pregnancy. We're at a historic all-time low for teenage pregnancy. And we're actually at the lowest rate of abortion since Roe was decided. But all of that public health progress, if you will, is now at risk strictly for political reasons. And that is very disheartening, to put it mildly. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. In this week's episode, we're doing something a little bit different. Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood, recently visited the Harvard Chan School to speak to graduates during our recent convocation. So we paired up Richards with Mary Bassett, director of Harvard's FXP Center for Health and Human Rights and the former commissioner of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. The result was a really fascinating conversation between two women who have been on the front lines of public health and gender equality issues for decades. Richard spoke about her work with a new organization she co-founded, Supermajority, which aims to empower women and organize them around key issues related to gender equity, including equal pay and childcare. The two also spoke about the recent spate of anti-abortion laws across the United States. This conversation actually happened on the same day that it was announced that the only remaining abortion clinic in Missouri would have to stop doing the procedure amid a regulatory dispute with the state's governor. That would have made Missouri the first state in the country without access to abortion services since 1974, the year after the Supreme Court's landmark Roe v. Wade decision. A state judge in Missouri ultimately ruled that the clinic can continue providing abortions, at least for now, but it was concerning news amid a string of laws restricting abortions in Alabama, Georgia, and Louisiana. Richards and Bassett will speak about the importance of protecting abortion rights later in their interview, but they began the conversation by talking about Richards' current work with Supermajority. Take a listen. So first of all, I wanted to start out by talking about what you're doing now and okay. about the launch of Supermajority, which was at the end of April, not right. that long ago. Right. So tell us what you've been doing and okay. tell us a little bit about Supermajority. Great. I'd love to. Uh, it's So I, you know, for the last 12 years, I uh, more or less, a little bit more than that, at Planned Parenthood, as the president of Planned Parenthood, which was sort of the job of a lifetime, amazing, uh, an organization that provides health care to millions of people and just changes the opportunities for so many folks. Um, but I decided, too, it was important that I move aside and make room for the next, the next person, and in some ways the next generation. But I wasn't ready to quit being an activist or quit fighting for the issues I believe in. And I had been speaking with a couple of... Um, friends, uh, Ai-Jen Poo, who runs the National Domestic Workers Alliance, and uh, an organization 
that tries to basically advance the uh, opportunities for people who are caregivers in this country, of course, who, that we all depend on. And then Alicia Garza, who, again, was one of the co-founders of the global Black Lives Matter movement, uh, as well as someone who has been such an outspoken um, uh, supporter and leader in the area of women of color and of uh, gender equality. Anyway, we talked about this moment that I think we're all experiencing in the U.S. where there are literally um, you know, millions of people marching, um, resisting, uh, standing up on everything from family separation at the border to the importance of keeping Planned Parenthood's doors open. And as organizers, I think we all felt like we can't let this moment, you know, disappear. And what I was experiencing, I, I was around the country this last year on book tour. Everywhere I went, I felt like it, they weren't even book events. They were more like tent revivals. It was just women coming out <laughs> of the woodwork saying, what can we do now? What more can we do? And that is really what led to the formation of Supermajority is this idea that women are asking for training. They're asking for uh lessons about how to be more civically engaged and involved and frankly in some ways are looking for community um, I think women are feeling like they've been kind of resisting so much and now what would it look like if we actually uh, began to build the country we want to live in and not just resist against policies we don't agree on and that is how we started uh, we started almost a month ago we now have nearly 100,000 supporters and members from all 50 states and including um, and folks outside of the U.S. as well. Um, very diverse, multi-generational, uh, inter interracial, and we're, um, we're set about trying to change the world. So it's pretty exciting. It really is. <laughs> I, I was so pleased to see the, the trio emerge. And I think in this time, it was an incredible statement of what a women's movement should look like. Uh, it was uh, intergenerational, as right. you've said, and also interracial. Um, and, these, and also radical. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are, are both... Uh, and, and both women uh, who you joined up with are really outspoken advocates for women who have been in the shadows as, as you've yep. been. Yep. So I, I wonder whether people were surprised to see this kind of trio emerge. And Well, uh, I, well I hope I so. Have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's, it is a different moment. And I feel like we've all learned so much as organizers. And we've also, we've learned from both, I think, the um, progress that women and women, the women's movement has made and also some of the failures of the movement mm -hmm. to be to really lift up particularly women of color who have been as we all know carrying um, a, a undue burden on every important social justice issue in this country uh, as activists as volunteers as voters and so it seemed to me there was just a real opportunity to pull a lot of these threads together. And and I think also uh, a recognition that um, women will probably determine the next president of the United States. Um, women are, they're the vast majority of volunteers. They're increasingly donors to political candidates and campaigns. And yet, I think I, Jen and Alicia and I and some of the other, uh, some of our other colleagues felt like in, in large part, women are doing a lot of their work in silos. You know, they're out just trying to like keep the dam from breaking over us or uh, dealing with all these different issues. And what if we actually pulled all this together mm -hmm. so that women women felt not so isolated, not so alone, and, and actually recognize that we are the super majority and that what would it look like if women had real, real power in the U.S.? So that's what we're trying to figure out. 
That's great. And I understood that you were going on a listening tour. Is that right? Is yes. That... We did a little bit of that in the fall, yeah. and it was really amazing, actually. We, we went to 15 different cities, and we held convenings, and four of those cities of uh, about 100 women. And it was fascinating. I mean, Mary, you would have loved it because, again, these were women coming, some women who'd been involved forever in certain issues, others who had just now kind of woken up and said, oh, my gosh, I guess I, I better be part of uh, what's happening uh, in the world. I remember being in, in Phoenix, Arizona, we, where we had teachers who'd been out on wildcat strikes to try to fight for public education. We had dreamers. We had folks who'd been at the border. Um, we had Planned Parenthood activists, and then we had folks who'd never been to any kind of organizing meeting. And I think that is what's, I think that's what's so powerful here is that um, in some ways, women just want to be in the room together mm. uh, and talk about issues. Mm. Not only what I think of as people have always thought of as quote unquote women's issues, but they want to talk about race. They want to talk about gender. They want to talk about um, what they can learn from other women and how they're being successful. And that to me is one of the most powerful things is real, women realizing their collective power. Um, and I, I, I think there's, it's sort of interesting. I've been an organizer my whole life, right? I started as a union organizer back in, in the day. And it used to be that as an organizer, you had to create demand. You had to sort of like convince people that it was important to do something. We are dealing with the absolute opposite right now in the United States, which is this tsunami of women in particular, and many of them women of color, mm-hmm. raising their hands and say, I want to do more. And so to me, it's a, it's a really, it's a specific organizing challenge and one that I feel like we, it's, it's really critical to try to meet. Ah, that's really exciting. So we should tell people like how they can find out more about Supermajority. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very easy. Actually, you can just sign up at supermajority.com and um, uh, we'll, we'll uh, bring you in. We'll invite you to participate. Uh, one of the funniest things we the first day we actually launched um, on the web and we put a like a questionnaire that people could fill out and the young women that are working um, on this project said well you know no one ever fills out surveys so like we'll just do kind of like put up something well it was kind of a long survey and we didn't think anyone would fill it out 58,000 people filled it out like the first 24 hours which also told me something else which is women are um, so excited for someone to actually ask them Mm-hmm. Uh, what they're concerned about, what they need, what more they want to do. And so, again, we're going to learn a lot along the way. One of the things you would probably love, Mary, is that we asked women, what's your what's your superpower? It could be everything from, you know, um, getting my kids ready for school to, I don't know, <laughs> you know, inventing, uh, inventing a cure for some important disease. The number one superpower that was listed um, was empathy, which to me spoke to this time we're in, mm-hmm. where... I think women, and not only women, deeply concerned about this country and and our government, frankly, mm-hmm. and the lack of empathy we show for others. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think women want to really um, plumb and uh, talk about with others. So there's some really powerful, interesting things coming out of this. That's really interesting. When I became health commissioner in New York City, the job I stepped down from to take my position here at the School of Public Health, uh, I said that I wanted to lead with uh, a commitment to equity. Mm-hmm. And people said, well, you can't measure that. And it's true. And similarly, you can't really measure empathy. Uh, so what you're talking about is a movement that embraces values, uh, not just outcomes or indicators. Or 
And I think that says something about our time now, too, that people right. really want to elevate values. But they also want to know what they can do practically. Absolutely. And that's, that's always a challenge, is to figure out what action people can take, because mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're highlighting the values, and they're saying, how do I act on those values? I agree, and I, th I mean, that's such a perfect comparison, because in a way, it's true, you may not be able to always measure equity, but you know it when you see it. <laughs> and the same way with empathy, you know what it looks like, um, or how it feels when people mm -hmm. are actually acting from... Um, from from that value um, proposition. Um, and I do think the hard thing right now, Mary, and actually Missouri, what happened in Missouri mm. today, is a perfect example in that some of these, the solutions, there isn't always just a, an immediate action you can take that will make it all go away. In fact, in some ways, that's why I wrote my book after the last election is because I, every day, and I'm sure this happens to you, I would get stopped on the street and someone, you know, usually a woman would say, what can I do? as if there were one thing, if they did that now, everything would get better. And the truth is, this is gonna be long-term um, you know, work for change. This mm -hmm. isn't, you know, social change doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get here overnight either. I think it's, uh, I mean, I think it's a result of a lot of things that we haven't addressed in this country. Yeah. Um, issues of race, yeah. class, gender, yeah. sexual assault, yeah. you name it. And so yeah. I think it's, it's not just winning an election, it's actually changing the direction of America. And that really is kind of the, the, the idea behind supermajority. Right, right. I, one of the, some of the things that, that I understand you're focusing on are things like equal pay for equal work, um, the whole problem of, uh, of um, immigration and, and the rights of, of families to, to stay together and uh, the absolutely chilling images that came from our southern border of of children being separated from their families. Actually, I, 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 I can't bear to think of it. Um, and, uh, and of course, the whole general idea of, of gender equity. Um, but what's in our face increasingly since 2019 has been the assault on reproductive rights, something yes. that you spent 12 years uh, working to defend. It's been, um, there's no question uh, that it's orchestrated and that it is, you know, dangerous uh, for women, not only about their reproductive rights, but just about the idea of women having autonomy in their lives is right. really um, the, the, um, what underlies the, these attacks, I, I believe. So we heard today that, um, that in Missouri, uh, the Planned Parenthood Clinic, for reasons to do with regulatory um, issues, is no longer going to be offering abortion services, making it uh, the first state, or at least they are at risk of no, lo uh, no longer offering abortion services. And they'd become the first state, Missouri, to have no such services. I think there were six states that only had one abortion provider. Correct. I imagine it was often a Planned Parenthood provider. Mm -hmm. Missouri had, a, had, um, had, I don't know, like 15 11 right. years ago. Right. Uh, and all of the, you know, that's been, there's been a constant uh, sort of, you know, um, restrictions one after another on providers, on coverage, on, um, on what facilities have to look like. Uh, but now we may have one state that simply has no 
providers. Do you do you want to just say something more about that and well, what would supermajority, which hasn't right. really made this a centerpiece, um, you know, but what what is your word for women who are watching this happen? Uh, I think it's. Uh, you know, as I actually think my successor, Dr. Wen, said, um, you know, this is not a drill. And this is the time where, for all of us who've been working on abortion rights for our most of our lives, uh, I guess we all feared this day would come, but this is actually what Missouri means. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're, it's interesting, just to put a sort of a fine, finer point on what's happened in Missouri is, you're right, over the last decade, the restrictions on both patients, on providers, on, on healthcare institutions have become so severe and onerous and burdensome and frankly impossible to comply with that we were left with only one health center remaining and that was a Planned Parenthood. Um, this is, it is 100% not medical it's not, um, it's all about politics. And they're obviously now the, the current governor who said he wants to make this a completely pro-life state, which is sort of extraordinary when you think of the state of women's health care in the, in the state, uh, is basically using his power to refuse to grant a license, a, a renew the license to provide abortion services uh, to Planned Parenthood. So effectively, um, what they can't do by uh, overturning the right uh, through the courts, they are doing by um, essentially almost executive fiat, and it's um, it's incredibly chilling. And because of course people, maybe they knew about Texas, they they've heard about Alabama. The the fact that Missouri, a state with in the middle of the country, a state mm-hmm. that is. Um, uh, we have more than a million women of childbearing age in that state. As of this weekend, we'll lose uh, likely access to services that have been legal for more than 40 years in the United States of America. And it's it's so chilling because, as you say, there are many other states lined up right behind uh, right behind Missouri. It, um, elections have consequences. And I mean, the solution to this is a political solution. And it really means that for every person in this country, and it's not just women. And so sort of one of my, I guess, uh, I think it's really important that, of course, women have been telling their stories since Alabama, since Georgia, since Texas. A lot of us have shared our own abortion stories to make, to make people realize that this is like everyone... Everyone it's like knows a someone. Order of women, exactly. Right? Everyone you know, everyone uh, knows someone mm-hmm. uh, who's had an abortion. They may just not have felt um, free to talk about it publicly, nor should they have to. But uh, I'm. This is a time not just for women to be up in arms. This is a time for every person in this country. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see, as we know, um, men have something to do with um, pregnancy. And uh, in fact, it's very hard to imagine that many abortions uh, were not the result of, you know, with male involvement. And so I'd like to hear men uh, raising a ruckus. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's time for women to quit carrying the burden of this uh, on their own. And so I'm hoping what we see out of Missouri is a flood of activism, uh, a, a, an, an engagement that we've been needing to see for a long, long time. And I think, frankly, it is setting up this next presidential election to be a very stark um, decision about where this country is going to go. You know, the President Trump said before he was elected that he would only appoint justices who would overturn Roe versus Wade, you know, and I think we have to believe him. Uh, and now, in fact, this is going to become a state-by-state issue in all likelihood. So voting 
um, being involved, speaking up, marching, writing to Congress, calling your legislature, um, all of these things become increasingly important. Well, there are some glimmers of hope. Uh, there are states that have yes. put into their state um, laws or constitutions uh, the right to of women to have these the choice of having an abortion. Right. Um, and there are also the so far the federal courts have been holding up, but it seems clear that this is going to come to the Supreme Court. And yes, I think that's right. Um, I mean, there's so many cases. Yeah. in line uh, to go to go up to the court. And yeah. I mean, it even under uh, previous law, you know, as we know, under under Casey, the restrictions on access ha are yeah. so severe. And mm -hmm. what has been able what what states have been able to do on um, under that stand uh, standard have been able to have gotten us to the place where, as you said, in six states, there's only one abortion provider yeah. left. And of course, in Texas, we almost lost um, dozens of providers um, won that Supreme Court case, but under a very different court. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think there is, I think that ultimately this is going to be something that people in this country are going to have to rise up and demand that uh, this is a right that we are not going to give up. And, uh, but yeah. that's, it's, listen, it's, it's a lot of women are going to suffer in the meantime. I think a, a point that I bears repeating is that it's legal abortion right. that is being banned. Exactly. That the, that the demand for abortion is not going to change. Right. And so the result is also what's always been true, that women who have access, women who have wealth, have always had access to safe abortion e even when it wasn't legal. Correct. Uh, but for poor women, many of them women of color, um, even the burden of going out of state may mean it's completely unavailable to many women. Absolutely, no. I mean, and, and you know that you've been such a such an eloquent, um, you know, leader in this arena. That I mean, you know, you can have a right under the law, but if you actually don't have equal access, it is pretty pretty meaningless. And if you live in Missouri, yeah. if you're you know working two jobs or supporting a family, and you somehow got to get get time off from work find transportation, get to another state, and frankly, some of the states bordering Missouri aren't a whole lot better. Um, that's, that means that, um, yeah, women will, um, women will make other decisions. And in what we saw in Texas was, of course, women started going across the border to, te to Mexico. Um, right. And I think it's really important to document mm. what happens in Missouri because, as, exactly as you said, abortion didn't, wasn't created with Roe versus Wade. Abortion existed long before. It's just that young, healthy women died in emergency rooms all across this country. And you and I know mm. you can still talk to doctors who did their residencies and who will tell you the stories. Mm. Uh, so the question is not will, will abortion exist in Missouri. The question is whether safe and legal abortion will exist. Um, and, of course, this is the, the ultimate irony to me about all of this is because of the great work under the Affordable Care Act, getting birth control access for millions and millions more people, um, better methods. We're actually at a 30-year low for unintended pregnancy. We're at a historic all-time low for teenage pregnancy. And we're actually at the lowest rate of abortion since Roe was decided. But all of that public health progress, if you will, is now at risk strictly for political reasons. And that is very disheartening, to put it mildly. So uh, I guess you're really convinced that we can stand and fight and change this. 
And we have to. I mean, there isn't really another option. No. And I think that's <laughs> there what isn't I, another no, option. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and look, I think that's what I mean, it is. Part of the reason supermajority was created is I think um, women and um, and others, not just women, are raising their hands and saying, "We um, we've got to change the situation in this country." And maybe it took this administration for people to finally like kind of, or at least some new people to mm-hmm. wake up and say, "I've got to be about creating the future, not just not just um, wait for it to happen to me." Um, I, and I do find I do find signs of hope. I think one thing I and I'd really be curious actually your experience, but mm-hmm. I feel like um, many men in this country now have such high expectations for their daughters. Really believe they can do anything. I'm sure we'll see many of them mm-hmm. graduating, uh, young women graduating tomorrow um, uh, from the School of Public Health here at Harvard. Um, and I hope they are beginning to recognize that if if people do not have the ability to control um, their bodies, make their own decisions about pregnancy, then they really don't have equal opportunity. And I, I think that, again, I think it's important that we recognize this is not a women's issue. This is a basic issue of, of uh, you know, of human rights. And um, we just we need to engage everybody in this. It can't because because frankly, women aren't going to be able to win all uh, you know on our own. Yeah, and I, I think the other part of it is that that we're always going to need access to safe and legal abortion. There, there's never going to be a perfect way of avoiding an unwanted and unintended pregnancy. Right. And so that you know, of course, we want uh, our we want women to have access to contraceptive technologies. We want them to get better. Right. Uh, the methods still could be better than they are. Absolutely. <laughs> As have, I have young. Uh, uh, women as daughters and I'm mm-hmm. um, relearning again how how uh, unsatisfactory many of the options available for young women are but that that aside um, there's always going to be a need for this and another part of what's striking about what's going on with uh, with um, abortion rights is that the very states that are curtailing these um, access to to a full range of, of services are ones where the outcomes for women and for children are not good. Um, so that there's a, a focus on spending huge amounts of money on um, on defending um, uh, uh, litigation uh, against uh, reversing these laws. Uh, and yet, um, they, you know, maternal mortality is going up in the United States, only wealthy country that has that distinction. And our child health outcomes still remain terrible. Right. We're in the midst right now of a totally preventable uh, measles epidemic, exactly. for example. No, I, and look, I know you've been on the forefront of both, you know, working on these issues directly and speaking on these issues. But it is incredible when you look at the, just let's take the state of Alabama, where we know that 25 men voted to basically ban all abortion in the mm-hmm. state. I mean, 25 people who will And a not, woman signed it. And a woman <laughs> signed it. No, that's right. That's right. But no, absolutely. No. And obviously women are not a monolith. So right. I think that we have to acknowledge that. But it's incredible if you really look at what the real healthcare problems are in Alabama that, you know, Alabama, some counties, uh, some of the um, counties in Alabama have the highest rates of infant mortality in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a health care crisis, right? Mm-hmm. That's actually something where 
you'd say maybe we should really think about addressing something that is a, is a serious problem. I know um, also Alabama has uh, the nation's highest rate of cervical cancer deaths, um, and black women are twice as likely to die from it as white women. Now, those are real health crises in this country. And then you think about Georgia as well, obviously another mm -hmm. state that is trying to ban um, access to, to safe and legal abortion. Um, both Alabama um, both Alabama and Georgia, um, about half of their counties don't even have an OBGYN, right? So in terms of access to basic gynecological care, that's a crisis. But instead, as you say, um, the focus by um, legislatures that are predominantly men, not all, but predominantly men, are focused instead on taking away a right um, that folks have had in this country for more than 40 years and instead and I think, frankly, avoiding um, public health care crises that we, as, as a nation, should be addressing. And that's something I believe at Supermajority we can do as well, is like actually educate people to where the real public health care problems are exactly. and demand that people, I mean, I think this is, to me, the important thing is not just what are the people in office doing now, but what do we expect other folks to be doing about these? And like I've been you know, very excited that we have six women now, I think, declared um, running for president of the United States. And we have Elizabeth Warren out there leading on um, equal pay. And we have Kamala Harris leading on teacher pay. And we have Kirsten Gillibrand uh, talking about the importance of reproductive health care access. Well, um, I want to know, where do the men who are running for president stand on these issues? These are not, why is it always the women mm. who have to raise issues that affect everyone. And I think this is a real opportunity for us in this election cycle to say, you know, what would it look like if we actually had full gender equality in this country? What were the things that we would need for that to become true? And what's your plan, candidate X, uh, to do something about that? Again, I'm so grateful um, to the women. And I, th I may have misspoke. I know Elizabeth Warren has been not only good on um, equal pay, but she's been, you know, she's been good on a whole host of of issues of economic issues that women care about, um, but I think it's a, it's time we hear from everybody, and I, I think that's something that we can do. Well, I think it, you make a really good point, and Supermajority has been making this point. Even the name Supermajority mm -hmm. uh, tells us that these are not just special right. interest <laughs> issues. Right. These are issues for most of us, and they're issues for all of us. So, yeah. we're gonna. Um, have a graduation uh, here tomorrow, and we'll have a whole flock of young professionals going uh, out into the world as public health workers. Right. And I'm, I know you're going to be talking to them tomorrow, but uh, do you want to give us any preview on and how you're going to send them out? One of our jobs always as commencement speakers is to send people out with uh, with you know inspiration and and a sense of the future that there is theirs to right. to make right I mean it's it is inspiration but it's also kind of marching orders right yes. I feel like this is a moment where I mean I was thinking about it today of course driving into Boston you know with this Missouri announcement and that I don't know what the students thought when they enrolled and began their their mm. their program, but but boy, they are going to be the change makers in this country. Yeah. They're, I mean, I really do think we're at this tipping point of defining what is public health. Is it a value in America? And if it mm. is, how would we realize it? And so these students who already have done extraordinary work um, in their in their studies, they really are going to shape. 
um, shape the future in America. And not only in a policy sense, but obviously for millions of people who are counting on them. Um, I mean, the burden is, it's big. They're, I think their job just got um, a lot more important uh, and significant. So I'm, for me, I'm excited to get to meet them because they are the most inspiring people. They could have done anything else. They could have, you know, they could have gone into a lot of other lines of work that I'm sure would be more lucrative and less controversial. Um, but boy, they are, um, they're gonna change the world and I'm grateful to them. Well, you've certainly done your bit to change the world. We're too. just beginning, right, Mary? I mean, you, <laughs> yes. you know, it's, um, I think it's exciting though to see, I mean, I'll just say one thing about women. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are the supermajority, as we know, in terms of the majority of, like, the workforce and almost now, well, I shouldn't say, women are almost now half the workforce. We're the majority of college students. Med- the majority of students. people who vote, right? apparently. And now, yes, in this last election, 54% of the voters were women. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the most reliable group of women that vote mm-hmm. are women of color, which is, yes. I think, something we have to always Thank remind you. everyone of. Yeah. Um and now it's time for the rest of us to do our part. And that to me is the opportunity. And I do find, I, I, I was, you mentioned earlier that, that I went with some of my colleagues and we went around and did a listening tour. And I kind of expected women to just say, I'm just done. I'm just fed up. I'm burned out. And it was just the opposite. I feel like women fear, are feeling now, um, they're seeing the success of some of their work. They're seeing a record number of women and women of color elected to Congress uh, and women who aren't waiting around to be told what to do. They are just taking the ball and going with it. And that is there is something that is um, uh, it's it's invigorating. uh, It's inspiring. And I just think we're going to see more and more of that. Yeah, I left New York, so I'm I'm not there for AOC time. But right. We have Ayanna Presley. But you Presley have Ayanna Presley, and, and uh, you know, no, Lauren Underwood, you know, it. like yeah. a fantastic young woman just, from yeah. Illinois. It's yeah. No, that's the cool thing is it's not yeah. just one woman you can go, wow. It's it is an entire you know platoon, it is. and I, the way they are supporting each other is really exciting, and mm. women notice that. Mm. I would, you know, I lived in Southern Africa for many years in yes. Zimbabwe, and um, and many people who lived in Harare in the years that I was there were people who were members of the ANC in exile. Yes. Uh, so I got to know a lot of South Africans and a lot about that movement, and they had a saying. I'm not sure I'll get it quite right, mm-hmm. but it went something like, "You have touched the women. You have struck a rock. Yes. You will be crushed. Yes." <laughs> No, it's right. And it's it's also <laughs> that is exactly right. Um, we are the ones we've been waiting for. right? I mean, it's yeah. sort of this um, women are tough. And I think that, again, I just I think it's exciting to see that what brings women joy now is the success of other women. Mm. And maybe there just never were enough of us for that mm. to be. That was a luxury we didn't have. Mm. Um, but that's what I, that's the spirit I feel everywhere. Mm. And I, I think um, for, for me, I mean, I, and I'm certain for you, I, I feel like I'm not finished. I'm willing, I'm willing and able. Um, but it's such a heartening thing to see young people stepping up of, of both genders or all genders. Absolutely. Whatever the right word is. But Absolutely. That, you know, that, um, that because, you know, we need more help. Uh, the, as you say, the... The data are 
you know, there's no way around it. The U.S. life expectancy last year uh, declined for, for the third year in a row. Mm -hmm. This is really unusual. Mm -hmm. um, it happened in the Soviet Union before its collapse. It happened in, the, in Africa with the AIDS epidemic. Uh, but it is unusual to see a wealthy country experience stagnating and now declining um, life expectancy. So th this is a problem. It's right. a problem for everyone. And if women are the first to recognize it, right, that's the first okay responders. with me. <laughs> but um, right. but the, our whole planet is going to need to recognize it. I think that yeah. disparity, I mean, as we know, growing inequality, the disparity of access is a real problem. I was, I was encouraged, uh, I just read it this weekend, that the um, in Mil in Milwaukee County in Wisconsin, that the mm -hmm. county executive had now um, basically issued a requirement that racism be considered a. I health saw that. Yes, as a, 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 somebody a, sent that to me yeah. as a, a public health a public health, health crisis. Crisis. Right? He said we can't just keep looking. Yeah. To I mean, kind yeah. of to your point, we can't just keep looking at data. Right. And not actually saying, well, we have to change the way we think about this and what our approach is. Yeah. And look, that's coming from an Anglo man, um, elected official. We mm -hmm. need to see more of that, yeah. right? It's, we can't have, you know, African American women exclusively leading the fight to reduce maternal mortality rates since it's three to four times higher for them than than white women. Right. Uh, we can't have, as I said earlier, we can't just have women leading the fight for reproductive access. That affects every man in this country as well. So. I just think it's time we actually quit um, identifying the problem, uh, the disparities, but actually really fight now forward for equity as you've been doing your whole life. And I, I think something, if we can just sort of go a little out of sequence yeah. here, that one thing that's really important about the work that Supermajority is doing is, that, is naming racism. Uh, because for a long time, when I joined the health department, everybody was talking about poverty. Right. And they were talking about poverty as though all of the disadvantages attributable to race in this country, particularly to people of African descent, but uh, were just explained by poverty alone as though racism didn't exist. Right. And that, of course, is not true. Right. Um, uh, the, the fact is that white supremacy is rearing its head all over the place. We're seeing it uh, in Europe. Uh, right. In fact, people speaking openly right. about wanting Europe to be a white Christian place. Right. And so it's very important, I think, and I really want to applaud you um, for, for being very explicit. Um, you and Ajempu yeah. and and Alicia. Uh, Alicia. No, and we're so long overdue. And, and I, I think, so a couple of thoughts. One, Alicia Garza actually has a really great um, piece in the New York Times today talking about a survey she's done of black Americans and probably the largest survey about how they view um, their lives, their world. Um, it was, it, it's so revealing. Um, one of my colleagues, Brian Stevenson, you know, wrote something, or he said something the other day that was just, I know he's said it before, it's so important. He said, you know, we can't even in the U.S. have a truth and reconciliation process around mm -hmm. race because we actually have never wanted to talk about the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that what I have been uh, really heartened to see is that women want to have a conversation about race mm -hmm. um, for the first time in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Women white women beginning to kind of peel back their privilege in a way 
to say, wow, I have like, I didn't even get it. And mm -hmm. I think that we all have to be able to um, not only do that work ourselves, but lift up our, our sisters of color who have been doing this work for a long, long time. Because it's not, you know, as we know, it's not, um, it shouldn't be on people of color to address racism. That's on yeah. white people. <laughs> and just like it shouldn't be on women to deal with sexism, that's where we need our male allies to be, mm. to be part of this. But it has been, to me, getting into rooms that are multiracial, intergenerational, women talking about their shared issues and aspirations is one of the most powerful um, organizing um, opportunities I've ever had. And I hope that's the spirit uh, of supermajority. Well, it certainly is off to a really wonderful start. It's exciting, yeah. And the good thing is that it makes the work better yes. for everyone. And right. uh, that we, you know, that these sort of elephants in the room or they, they've been, They've been limiting our ability to be effective in all kinds of ways. I and agree. I, I, I saw that happen at the health department mm -hmm. um, where we sort of had permission finally for people to start having conversations. Things happened that were very unpleasant. Mm -hmm. um, and also things happened that were really better public health practice. Right. And I think that what what we get started, um, in the end, we'll, we'll make our work not just more just, but more powerful and more yeah. impactful. No, I think that's right. I think that's what, and that's what I think women are beginning to feel is that um, it's, I think there's just so many of these conversations haven't been, you know, there hasn't been a safe place in some ways for women. I think we're, they're saying like, and they actually, um, I think, not only do uh, a lot of us need to do more work, we, we don't need to just do the work, we need to amplify the work that is already happening. When you look at you know, the work that black women in Alabama have been doing to try to really change um, outcomes, you, uh, we can lift up the stories of, of folks that no one even knows about that have been doing this work a mm -hmm. long, long time. So I also wanna dispel any idea that supermajority is here to somehow like you know, rush in and save the world, I think in many ways, what we can do is amplify the already extraordinary work that women have been doing and connect it together and tell a bigger story. Um, at least that's my hope. Well, I'm really excited. Good. Well, and I joined. Great. Thank you. Well, and I'm so I'm it's so exciting to see you again. I'm so thrilled for your work and um, excited to meet all these um, new um, change agents that are going to graduate tomorrow and see what they do to change the world. Thank you. Thank Cecilia you, Richards. What a pleasure. Thank you, Mary. Thank you to both Cecilia Richards and Mary Bassett for taking the time to sit down for that interview. As you heard during their conversation, Richards delivered the convocation address at the Harvard Chan School last month. And if you'd like to watch it, we'll have the video on our website, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. That's all for this week's episode. A reminder that you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are a fan, we'd love it if you could take a few minutes to leave a rating and review. Thanks for listening.